All right, well, good morning. So glad you're with us today. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to get to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. As you navigate there, I want to highlight one thing that we have available for you in the lobby. Uh, Our student discipleship weekend, known as Collide, is coming up this Friday. It begins this Friday. Uh, Yeah, you could be excited about that if you're a teenager. That'd be great. but anyway, it's coming up this Friday, and what these are are prayer cards. They're prayer cards, so it's got a list of the students that are involved in the group, the host home, the leader that's involved to lead that group, uh, and we are just inviting our church to grab one or a hundred of uh, these cards and pray for these teenagers, these host homes, and these leaders by name for the next week and some change, uh, that God would work uh, amongst our students and the leaders that are involved in this weekend. The theme of the weekend is exile, and so we'll be looking at Daniel 1 through 6, looking at what does it look like like to live faithfully in a place as the people of Jesus that is not our home. Uh, And so you can pray in that direction. Make sure that you stop by the table, grab a card or two, and pray for our students. That would be really, really uh, a gift to me. Okay, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, is where we'll spend our time together. I heard a preacher some years ago while I was in college tell a story of a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata who uh, endured a tragic accident at the age of 17. And it left her uh, wheelchair bound as a quadriplegic. And that just by itself is, is suffering. Like, can you just imagine what it would be like to live life as a quadriplegic? Maybe some of you have relatives that know that life really well and you're well acquainted with that suffering. Uh, but she used that suffering as a platform on which to stand and boast in the goodness of God in her life and as a result to inspire others in that way. And uh, she has this interchange with a friend where she tells this story about what is it going to be like when she stands before the Lord one day in heaven. She says this in an article. Well, you know, though, I always say that in a way, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. Now, I know that it's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. Now I'm not sure that anybody in this room hears that and is not moved in some parts by that story. Why is it that stories like that, testimonies like that, witnesses like that are so moving and inspiring to us? It's because when we see people face suffering well, it validates the truth that they claim to believe and it inspires us to be the kind of people that do the same thing. We want to be people who face suffering well. We want to be people who understand that our God is so sovereign that he is working a right good plan for our formation into Christ's likeness in suffering. The question that we're left with is, how do we do that? How do we face suffering well? Does the scripture have anything to say about it? And it does. And Romans chapter 8 will help us in that way. So if you're able to stand, I would invite you to do so as we read Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 30. 
Romans 8, verse 18 through 30. At the end of our main text reading, we say this phrase, the very words, just as a way to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, this is what the word of God says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You can have a seat. So the main idea for our time together is this. Christians face suffering with future hope, the help of the Spirit, and trust In God's sovereignty. I'll give it to you one more time. Christians face suffering with future hope, the help of the Spirit, and trust in God's sovereignty. Before we jump into the text, maybe let me give you a word about suffering, just to kind of set a platform for us on which to stand. The first thing is this a suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. There's a sentiment maybe even in this room as Christians where we can begin to think, God, I serve you. I read my Bible. I go to church. I give money. My kids are Christians. God, we are killing it for you. Thus, we should not be under the hand of suffering right now. We can think this is not what should be happening. And in some ways, that's right. There's a groan that Romans 8 will talk about where we think, oh, it shouldn't be this way. And at the same time, it's a, it's a real reality of the world that you and I live in. So I want us to understand that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. In fact, that's exactly where we left off in Romans chapter 8. Think all the way back to November. You're like, I've lived so much life since, but I don't know, I can't. But the last place that we left off in Romans was Romans 8 verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And we're like, yes, Lord, I would like to be your heir. And the following line is, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Pastor Brian said it to us like this the last time we were in Romans, that heirs suffer with the family. It is a normal part of the people of Jesus to face suffering. Paul says this Similarly, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and following, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we're like, yes, God, let it be. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul highlights yet again the suffering that all of us are well acquainted with is a normal part of the Christian life. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That it's the sentiment of Paul and Peter to say to the people of God, the suffering that you are facing, don't stand under that and say, this is weird, this shouldn't be happening. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. And so people of Jesus at Bay Area, we ought to have the framework that reminds us that suffering is a very normal part of the Christian life. Now, hear me say this to you. I'm not saying that the suffering that you're facing isn't awful. What's more than that? God is not saying that the suffering that you're facing isn't awful. In fact, what we will find is that God looks on our suffering, mourns with us in our suffering, and is doing something to relieve us from our suffering. And so he grieves with us and yet says to us, this is a very normal part of the Christian life. And that's largely true because of the second piece, that suffering is a product of the brokenness of the world. Suffering is a product of the brokenness of the world because the reality is that in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, everything broke. We broke, the world broke, systems broke, everything broke. Sin is not just this like little thing that is just kind of like, if we just kind of like scoot it out of the way and do some more good stuff, we'll deal with it. No, sin is this pervasive reality that has to be uprooted and killed. And it has affected and broken everything. Such that when God doles out curses in Genesis chapter three, he curses the serpent, he curses the woman, he curses the man, he curses the ground. Everything is busted by sin. And as a result, suffering comes because of our sin, because of the sins of others, because of the results of that sin and effects of that sin in the world, or because of the presence of Satan in the world, you and I face suffering as a normal part of the Christian life. And so then we're left with the question that's before us today. Okay, if that's true then, how do we face it well? How do we face suffering as Christians well? And we see the first as we jump into the text. The first is this. We face suffering well as the people of Jesus with future hope. We face suffering well as the people of Jesus with future hope. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul identifies in verse 18, there's something up there that is coming, that is promised to us that we cannot see, that allows me to look at this suffering that I've said to you, people of Jesus, you will face as an heir of Christ, that allows us to say, you know what, this suffering that we're facing, it doesn't even come close to what is coming for us. 
He sets his eyes in the future and it allows him to endure his sufferings right now. So often what happens in the middle of our suffering is we just pull our eyes down and all we can see is the wreckage of our suffering and we're consumed by the waves of that and I'm not saying that's abnormal but the invitation of God and the scriptures is to pick your eyes up. Look out there. Look at the future glory that's coming. God has promised something good for us that will allow us to endure now. Paul echoes this reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says there's something up there that you know is coming that you can't see, but you can be certain that it's there, that it allows you to endure and face the suffering well now. We face suffering with future hope. I had a friend who some years ago decided he was going to run a marathon. Uh, that's 26.2 miles of running. So you're just like, I don't know what's the matter with people that choose to do that. That's 26.2 miles of running. And so they decided to do, he decided to do that, signs up, trains, gets ready. On the day of the race, three, two, one, go. He takes off. He's 11 miles in to the race when he feels a pop in his leg. Uh-huh. You don't even have to run to know that's bad. That's real bad. So he pulls off, goes to a med tent, uh, figures out that he has torn his hamstring. Again, you don't have to run ever in your life to know, I think you might need your hamstring to run. I think that's required. And so I'm not sure what you would do. Here's what I would do. I would be like, well, that was a good effort, everybody. We made it 11 miles. Somebody wheelchair me all the way to the car. I'm going home. That isn't what my friend did. He finished the race. And if you're keeping score at home, that's 15.2 miles on a torn hamstring. That's about 15.2 miles longer than I would have ran on a torn, torn hamstring. And so the question that we're left with is, how did he do that? How does anybody do that? And you're like, I know, Cade, you're insane. That's how you do that. And so I asked him about it, and his, his, his response was, look, honestly, I was just too prideful to give up. I had like signed up for this thing, I had trained, I was gonna finish. But couldn't it be that there was a motivating reality in that race that he could not see that kept him going step by step, mile by mile, stride by stride, because 15.2 miles ahead of me is an unseen reality where this suffering ends. And the promise of that relief keeps me going right now. It is the promise of that future glory that allows me to say, this present suffering isn't worth comparing with the glory that's coming. And so he endures. And so it is for us as we face suffering as Christians. We face it well with future glory. Whatever the suffering you're facing, the glory that is coming is meant to provide us hope to endure. Pick your eyes up. Because what God has promised, he will provide. He will provide.
So we face suffering well as Christians with future glory. The second thing, we face suffering well as Christians with the help of the Holy Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. Likewise, that is in the same way that future glory helps us, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for us, for the saints, according to the will of God. We suffer well as Christians with the help of the Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit help us? What does Paul say? He intercedes for us, as the text says in verse 26, with groanings too deep for words. Because sometimes you're in suffering and you go to God, which is a right good act of faith, and all you have is this. I have nothing to say. I don't even know what to say. Because what we're facing, what I'm facing is awful. And God, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. I don't have words for you. And the good news of our God is, he welcomes that and says to us, you don't have to have words for me. The Spirit will intercede for you with groanings that are too deep for words. And here's the even better news. The way that he intercedes for you will be in accordance with the very will of God. And he will groan for you in such a way that you couldn't ever articulate on your own in the middle of suffering. And so my encouragement to you is to lean into the help of the Spirit in the midst of your suffering. Kid, I don't have words for that. That's precisely where you ought to be. Because it's in that weakness, it's in that helplessness that we find the Spirit of God to be sufficient for us. Much like Johnny Erickson Tata, the weaker I was, the more I leaned on you, and the more I leaned on you, the stronger I found you to be. And so we lean and we lean and we lean. And for many of you, I can't, I, your suffering is beyond my imagination. You're probably at a point where you're saying, I am leaning so far, I'm not sure I have any more leaning to do. And yet the Spirit of God invites you a little bit closer to lean a little bit further and to find out just how strong he is. And he groans for you amidst your suffering. He helps you in your weakness. So the Spirit helps us by interceding for us with groans too deep for words. The second way the Spirit helps us is he's our guarantee of what is coming. Jump back up to verse 23. And not only the creation, because the creation's groaning because of this curse that sin has brought, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, that the presence of the Spirit of God is the down payment, as Paul says in Ephesians, of the glory that's coming. This is your certainty of the promise. The Spirit that you have convicting you of sin, pointing to Christ, he's the guarantee of what is coming in your suffering. So if you have the Spirit present with you in your suffering, it is assurance that glory is coming. Because God has promised it, and what God has promised, God will provide. God will provide. So the Spirit helps us in our suffering because he intercedes for us. And he's a guarantee of what is coming. But Jesus has some things to say about what the Spirit does for us. He highlights these things in John 14 and 16. The first one is that he's our helper. He's our helper. John 14, verse 16 and following. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it ne neither sees him or knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That part of the role of the Spirit of God in our life is to help us, to come alongside us in our weakness. Maybe another way we could say that word that Jesus uses for helper is comforter or advocate. You can think of it much like if you were running a marathon, the fans on the side of the street saying, keep going, you can do this, get back up, you can go one more mile, you can keep going. This is the Spirit of God at work in our life amidst our suffering, advocating for us before the Father, helping us amidst our suffering, comforting us in our grief. Jesus will say in John chapter 16 of the Spirit, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What the spirit will do in our weakness is tell us the truth. So we rely on the help of the spirit because the spirit will tell us the truth amidst our suffering because so often amidst our suffering, it is really easy to start believing lies about who God is, about who we are, and about who others are. It's one or all three you will begin to think in your suffering. God, you're punishing me. God, you're far from me. You'll begin thinking of yourself. Maybe I am just too bad. Maybe I'm just not loved enough by God. You'll begin thinking of others. They're out to get me. They want the worst for me. They don't care about me. And you'll begin thinking all these things that are not true about God or yourself and may or may not be true about those other people. But in your suffering, you'll be tempted to operate out of that place because it's hard for you to see straight in your suffering. One of the gifts of God is the Spirit of God to us to call to mind the truth of God in our suffering. I can't see. I can't figure out which way is up. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness by recalling to us the words of God to remind us of the truth of who God is. And finally, the Spirit helps us by pointing to Jesus in our suffering uh, John chapter 16, verse 14, he will glorify me, that's Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Over and over again, the role of the Holy Spirit is, don't look at me, look at him. Don't look at me, look at him. Don't look at me, look at him. Look at Jesus. And it's in our suffering that the Spirit comes to our aid and points to Jesus and say, consider him who endured suffering in your place and overcame. Consider him who went to the cross and took the nails and the spear in his side and bore our sin and the very wrath of God in our place and overcame in his resurrection from the dead. The Spirit of God will point to Jesus and say, look at him in your suffering. Look at how God was faithful to him in his suffering. He suffered in your place and overcame. So suffer well under the help of the Spirit. So we suffer well by our hope and future glory and our reliance on the help of the Spirit. And the final way is we suffer well as Christians with trust in God's sovereignty. We suffer well as Christians by trust in God's sovereignty. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We suffer well as Christians with trust in the sovereignty of God. You see that particularly in verse 28. We know, what do we know? That all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How is it that we trust God's sovereignty amidst our suffering? We trust God to work a good plan for his people in all circumstances. We trust God to work a good plan for his people in all circumstances. The particular good, by the way, lest we, be, lest we assume that that good is ease in our life or some kind of material blessing on the other side of suffering, the good he will highlight in verse 29 is him forming you to be more like Jesus, which is, by the way, the best good that God could give you beyond material blessing, beyond situational ease, for God to form us to be more like Jesus is the greatest good he could ever extend to his people. And so he says to us, we know God is working good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How can we be confident of this? Because of verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We can be confident that God is working a good plan for his people in all circumstances because God has initiated himself toward us in a relationship with us. Doug Moo in his commentary on Romans says this, what Paul is saying then is that God's plan for us began in a decision to enter into a relationship with us. God initiated himself toward us. Now, here's what I know. There are some of you in the room, as you hear those words read, you've read those words before, and you squirm in your seat. Predestined, foreknew. I've got some questions for you, Cade. Where are you going? Call Brian. He's not here. Figure this out. <laughs> and so there, there's a theological debate here with these words. Uh, not just here, but just this, this idea. Uh, and it's, it's particularly about how people are saved. For some of you, you're well aware of that's why you're swarming in your seat. For others of you, you have no idea about this debate. You're probably better off for it. But here's, here's, here's what I want us to resolve. Number one, no matter where you fall on the aisle of those, whichever side you fall on, here's what we can agree on. Our God is an initiating God. He moves toward his people. And, and what's more than that, here in Romans chapter 8, I'm not quite sure that the main takeaway from Romans 8, 18 through 30 has to do with that particular debate and more to do with the sovereignty of our God amidst our suffering. And as a result, for us to find an enormous amount of comfort that the same God who is as present as the Spirit of God in us also is ruling and reigning over our situation. And thus the people of God find us an enormous amount of comfort that yes, our God is near, but our God is also a king who's working a good plan for his people. And so we trust him. We trust him. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 5 highlights this initiative that God has taken. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, 
God took initiative. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so the truth of Romans 8, 28 through 30, is that our God entered into a relationship with his people And because of that, we can be certain as his people that because he entered into that relationship, he will work all things that we are facing, including our suffering, to bring us to the desired destination of glory. What God has promised, he will provide. We can trust his sovereign care for it. In our suffering, we trust the sovereignty of God. God has taken the initiative to enter into a relationship with us through Jesus in order to bring us to the desired goal of Christ-likeness and glory. This glory that we hope in as we stand in our suffering, we can say one more step, one more day, one more week, one more year, We can endure this with hope in the future glory that's coming, with the help of the Spirit, and with trust in the sovereignty of our God to bring us to his desired destination. This is how we face suffering well as the people of Jesus. We endure it. We face it. We thrive even in it. Eyes fixed on future glory, relying on the help of the Spirit, trusting in the sovereignty of God. This is how we ought to face suffering as the people of Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to ask you a few reflection questions as you get a moment alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to reflect on some things. In your suffering, where are you hoping? In your suffering, where are you looking for help? In your suffering, how do you see the sovereignty of God at work? And if you're not a Christian, and you're here hearing these words, then my question to you is, in your suffering, where will you find hope? Where will you find help? God is inviting you to bring your sin to him. So I'm gonna pray for us here in just a little, little bit. Maybe for some of you, you need to come forward. We'll have some pastors and prayer partners here because you're in a season of suffering and you need somebody to remind you of the promises of God, to remind you of the Spirit's help in your life, to remind you of how God is at work and just to lift your arms in prayer until your simple act of faith of just getting out of your seat and moving forward, that would be right and good. Maybe some of you just wanna come and kneel and pray and offer yourself to God and ask him for help amidst your suffering. Maybe some of you will stay in your seat and amidst your suffering say to God, I don't have words to say. I don't have them. And you can trust that the Spirit of God intercedes for you with groans too deep for words. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus, you want to find hope amidst your suffering, then we'd love to talk to you about that as well. But I'll pray and then we'll respond. Father, we're grateful that you've given us some moments together in the Scriptures 
Help us to be faithful to respond as you call us to respond. We wanna be obedient to you. You are God. We trust you. You are good to us. We love you. We need you desperately. So be near to us in these moments, we ask in Jesus' name.